a tragic tale of one epic fail. And we've got a lot to cover today. We're going from Genesis chapter 26, the very bottom of the chapter, verse 34, all the way to the front end of the chapter of 28, verse 9. So Genesis 26, if you look in your Bibles, and if you notice somebody beside you doesn't have their Bible with them today, please uh, share along. There's not much of an intro story today because we're going over quite a long story and the story itself is going to be our story. But I imagine most of us are aware, at least vaguely familiar, with the story of Joseph towards the back of the book here in Genesis. story of Joseph where God works his plan to bless Joseph in spite of, despite terrible sins of others perpetrated against Joseph. God's working his plan to bless Joseph despite others perpetrating sins against him. But today's tale is a bit different. God will work out his plan to bless Jacob despite the terrible sins Jacob perpetrates against others. In today's tragic tale, there are no superheroes. None. Only supersized sinners. Today's tale is about a family of four that are just fraught with ambitions, favoritism, deceit, manipulation, and dare we say, stupidity. And our tale is framed by these multiple marriages. On either side of our tale is framed by these multiple marriages of the eldest son. He, these marriages act as a bookend on either side that set the story in a unique circumstance. And today's tale is a drama. It's a drama in six acts, six segments that involve four major failures of epic proportion. We've got disappointment, disobedience, deception, and discipline. Failures that, if you're like me, you can relate to being perpetrated against and perpetrating things like this. This just feels like my life sometimes. How about you? But before we jump into our story, let's pray. Please join me if you would. Lord, thanks for your word. It's so good to get back into Genesis. Now, Lord, help us. Help us as we mine the depths and mine the riches of your word. Holy Spirit, we are looking to you. Lord, to turn that light on in our head and fan a flame in our heart so that we might hear and understand and obey and teach others as well. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's start with dip- disappointment. We're going to look, we're going to break it up in our reading. We're not going to read it all the way through. We'll break, talk, break, talk. So let's begin with disappointment. We're going to look at chapter 26 and just read the first two verses. And what we're going to learn in just these couple of verses is that we set ourselves up for disappointment. And by the way, disappointment typically in my life always breeds tension. We set ourselves and others up for disappointment and tension when we ignore the patterns and principles that we find in God's Word. Let's look at our text, chapter 26, verse 34. I'm reading out of the ESV. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. How would you like that to be the banner over your marriage? Making someone bitter. What a, what a disappointment. What a, what a marriage 
That must have been. And what an ill-gotten and ill-gained and ill-timed relationship with mom and dad. Disappointment on both sides, I am sure, because life is bitter for all parties, but especially Isaac and Rebecca. Now, Isaac's not a 19-year-old boy just getting married. Isaac is 40 years old when he does this. He's actually the same age as when his father married his mother, Rebecca. Same age. Remember how Abraham sent his most trusted servant? Remember the taken oath? His most trusted servant to find a wife for his son Isaac. If you got it handy, just flip over to, to chapter 24 or just listen. I'll read verse 1 through 4. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. And that's just what he did. That was dad's responsibility. That's what his dad did. And was Isaac supposed to do the same for his sons? Or at least something similar? Did he neglect his duty to both his 40-year-old, remember they're twins, 40-year-old boys? Perhaps some think so, but we cannot be certain. One thing we can see about Isaac in Genesis is he's betrayed as both, as, as both patient and peaceable. Here's the question. Did his strength become his weakness? As he aged, he's now over 100, as he aged, did he mature in his virtue? Or did it morph from virtue to vice? From peaceable and patient to passive and apathetic, perhaps? We don't know, but the text does beg another question in the, in the principles and patterns outlined in God's Word. Even this early on, two wives? Hittites? Creation mandated one, Adam and Eve. And then came the fall. And very quickly, and remember, evil Lamech with his two wives. And what about marrying into the people of the land? No wonder there was tension and disappointment. He ignored the patterns in Scripture. What about marrying into the people of the land, the Canaanites? Isaac takes two Hittite, a subset of the Canaanites, two Hittite wives, and together they all make life bitter, not better. Not marked by any good qualities. Not honoring mom and dad. Not doing anything but making life bitter for mom and dad. So we've got the first disappointment. But we slide quickly right into disobedience. Let's look at 27, 1 through 4. And here's, here's something we can learn here. We, because this text applies to us too. We create unnecessary strife and problems when we put our preferences and our appetites ahead of God's revealed will. I do that, do you? I, I know what the Lord wants, but I want something different. Let's see if you can find yourself in this text. 27 verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, 
and said to him, My son! And he answered, Here I am! He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food such as I love. And bring it to me so I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Isaac is at least a hundred years old. He's, he's unsure how much longer he will live. By the way, he lives quite a bit longer. But he's unsure how much longer he'll live. live and he's eager to bestow a blessing upon his much favored, most favored firstborn son. Oh, hands down. Esau is his father's favorite. He's a man's man. He's robust. He's big and he's strong. He's guileless and he's frank in his speech. And he's indifferent to success and to getting ahead in life. That's Esau. That's his snapshot. But what about Jacob? Normally a father, when he's on his deathbed, he's going to gather all his sons around him for this deathbed blessing. But today, and on purpose probably, Jacob is left totally out of the picture. Remember why back in Genesis 25-27? When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, both boys were loved by their parents, they both, but they both played favorites in a serious fashion. Loved in that text means favor, choice, preference on steroids. Though favored and preferred by his father, Esau, though, was a very shallow man. We find a snapshot of him in Genesis and in Hebrews showing a man that is governed by his feelings and his appetites. In Hebrews, he's actually described as an immoral man. Immoral could mean sexual immorality, but it also could mean or have a, a double meaning that he was immoral, spiritually immoral. He was idolatrous. Regardless, today's narrative's word called to mind when it's talking about game and hunting and eat. It calls to mind when Esau sold his birthright. And his birthright, by the way, there were only two boys. And his birthright would have been two-thirds. You divide it in three because you get a double share as a first son. Two-thirds of the vast, sizable family fortune. He traded all that away for red lentil stew one time when he was hungry. A man governed by his feelings and appetites. His material birthright, and he also traded away the blessing of Abraham at the same time. All for red stew. Like son, like father? Yeah. Both mess up the birthright and blessing because of their preferences, because of their passions, because of their self-indulgence and because of their appetites. It seems that since his favorite Esau had sold his birthright to the cheat, Jacob, Isaac was determined that his boy would receive the blessings due to the firstborn son. Think of this type of parental blessing. Not as something we're supposed to repeat. But it, was, it served for them as a, a last will and testament. It was Isaac's will 
for his son in verbal form. And it was also Isaac's wish. It was Isaac's prayer. Wrap all that up into one and have Jacob out of the picture and Esau step in for that. Oh, and the phrase, my soul wants to do this for you. Oh, that's much more than just a strong desire. No, no. Think of in the Hebrew, it's more like from the depths of his soul, Isaac, a hundred years old man, pulls up and summons his last vitality, all his strength, his full passion, and his energy in order to accomplish one thing. He wants to see his son, who's been robbed, blessed. Oh, that seems so fitting and wonderful. Until we remember Genesis 25, 22. The children struggled together within her, these twins inside their mom. And she said, if it is thus, what is happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, to Rebekah, and Isaac knows this. Two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. And here's the twist. The older shall serve the younger. Isaac was willing to put his love for his firstborn son ahead of the revealed will of God. Perhaps Isaac was even trying to thwart the plan of God. We just don't know. And if that's not bad enough, Esau gladly goes along with this plan. He's happy to break his oath to Jacob back in Genesis 25. Remember, Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die of what use is a birthright to me. Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stool, stool, stew. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. Wow! Talk about disobedience disobeying God because of his preference for his son. Disobeying God fueled by his appetite for some deer meat. Deception, 27, 5 through 29. We must strive to accomplish. Oh, this is... I feel like Jacob. Actually, Jacob's my namesake. I'm James, which is the derivative of Jacob. This is where the text touches me in such a significant fashion. How about... You. How about you, Jacob Cook? We're in this together, buddy. How about you? <laughs> we must strive to accomplish God's will, God's way. Look at verse 5. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go, go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, May it never be, I will never dishonor my father. No. Behold, my brother Esau is a, is a hairy man and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps, perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. So he went 
and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats he, she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son, Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you? My son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you've told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is not Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. And he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Oh, may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let, let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Wow! Can you imagine? Here's Rebecca listening in. Isaac is about to obey God's plan. About to try to thwart God's purpose. And he's going to bless the wrong son! Of course, desperate situations demand desperate measures. Don't they? Why pray when you can act? Oh. So as soon as Esau leaves, Rebecca springs into action. And, and this comes as no surprise to the reader. Back in chapter 24, when we first meet Rebecca, we quickly discover that she is as energetic and capable and resourceful and adventurous as she is beautiful. She's the perfect wife who's now become an ambitious and designing Mother. And her quiet, tent-dwelling favorite son? Well, in, in Hebrew, that quiet thing indicates level-headed, level dependable. I mean, he's 40. He's a level-headed and dependable man. But he too has morphed. And he's become a calm, a cool, a self-controlled deceiver who is as quick on his feet and as manipulative as his mother. To 
together, they take matters into their own hands. Helping God out. Oh, does that sound like you? Sounds like me. Desperate measures. Let's help him out. Helping God out by bringing his promises to pass. It sounds so good. And they're going to help God out by bringing his revealed will to bear. By striving and with deceit. We've got to strive to accomplish God's will, God's way. Mom's pressure provided the opportunity for Jacob's lack of character to be put on full display. Oh, oh, they did. They really did. Sounds like me. They believed the promise. But they failed to trust the one who made the promise when the situation was desperate. That's when we're most dangerous, aren't we? We believe it's God's will. And we're going to help Him out. (laughs) Jacob's only difficulty with the plan that they came up with, actually Mom's plan, he had one difficulty. The possibility of getting caught. It was his only difficulty. And he knew if he got caught, a la Noah's son, he would receive a curse instead of a blessing. So like any good mom, Rebecca gladly accepted the consequence of her son's action. Let the curse fall on me. Oh, it sounds so noble until you think about it for a minute. She's being deceptive. She's disobeying. Rebecca's deception and Rebecca's dishonoring of her husband and Rebecca's disobeying God was only to be outdone by the cowardness, the selfishness, and the scheming of her protege and favorite son, Jacob. Last time Jacob worked his brother's hunger and the character that that revealed, last time he worked his brother's hunger to his advantage, and this time he's going to do the same with his dad's appetite. He knew about his dad's appetite and his dad's self-indulgence, and he knew about his blindness. And undoubtedly at that age, he had lost some sensitivity to touch. But more than that, like with his brother, there's a corresponding lack of character and a lack of spiritual sensitivity is revealed in his dad's actions as well. A momentary madness has settled down on the entire family. Isaac is disobeying the revealed will of God, God's clear covenant choice, as he seeks to have his own way with his favorite son instead of God's choice. Esau is breaking his oath. He's purposely, as Hebrews tells us, is casting God aside, and he's working his dad to his own advantage. Rebecca, she's working the husband and her son, and she's disregarding God's clear will. She could care less about the consequences and the effect on Esau. She could care less about the consequences and effect on herself. And she could care less about the potential consequences and effect on the covenant. And then there stands Jacob, (laughs) holding a steaming plate of goat meat. that's masquerading as a deer, while he masquerades as his brother. 
complete with the smell of the field cologne. His ill-fitting, stolen clothes with goat skins hanging off his hands and his neck. I bet you he went from tent to tent pretty quick. But he can't disguise his voice. And he's forced to lie multiple times. He's got to lie about his identity. And worse than that, he's got to lie about the identity of God. He is going to blaspheme God's name by taking it in vain. And he's going to blaspheme God's name by making God an accomplice to his crime. We do much more than we are aware when we deceive, don't we? And it's so easy to deceive for a good cause. Isaac enjoys the meal, drinks the wine, inhales the aroma of the great outdoors on his son. Though a bit perplexed, he bows to his senses and he ditches his discernment. This disobedient dad blesses a deceitful son. It's all supersized villains, isn't it? There's no hero. The disobedient dad blesses the deceitful son with a passionate, heartfelt blessing. It's about land. It's about the dew, which is how they got their moisture and their crops grew and their land stayed okay during the dry summer months. It's about land and dew and fatness. It's an agrarian culture, so it's from cattle and and goats and stuff. Plenty and people and taking dominion. It's all about the promised blessing of the chosen line. The chosen disobedient dad blessing the chosen deceitful son. It's part legal will. It's part wish. It's part hope and prayer. And as God has done all over Genesis again and again, He's going to use human sin, sinlessly, to accomplish His faithful purpose. So, yeah, Abraham, Abraham, sounds familiar. Isaac is given a legal will, a wish, a hope, and a prayer. But he doesn't know it. But he's also giving a prophetic pronouncement over the boy's life. And let's see what happens after that. (laughs) Well, everybody's disappointed. And yet, in the middle of disappointment, we learn that no one, no matter how deceived and disobedient you are, no one, you or someone else, can override God's will and His plan. Let's look at 27 verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. And his father, Isaac, said to him, Who are you? And he answered, I I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled 
very violently and said, Who who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. The Hebrew means scream. And said to his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he's taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he's cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright. Behold, now he's taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I've made him lord over you and all his brothers. I've given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I've sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Let's back up. Jacob escapes in the nick of time. Figuratively, Esau is right on his heels with food for his father. But Esau's happiness immediately turns to bitter sorrow. Isaac begins to tremble violently. Esau screams with a loud and bitter cry and he's reduced to sobbing as he begs for some kind of material blessing. Now remember, he's not seeking after the blessing of God. He's not repentant, as Hebrews is telling us. He's not sorry for what he's done. He just wants something from his father. They both get it, and they both got it instantly. Jacob, Jacob has done it again. When they were born at the stew pot, and just a moment ago, Jacob, oh yeah, what a heel. But Isaac is also instantly aware that against his own will, he's been the instrument of God. Isaac knows there's no turning back now. No one can override God's plan. And Isaac is aware. In spite of his favored son's tears, Isaac knows that Jacob is God's choice. The elect and favored heir to the promise. Isaac's moment of madness lifts and faith re-enters into the frame. Esau, on the other hand, 
is bitter. In a biting sarcasm, he recalls Jacob's name. He truly did supplant, deceive, grab him by the heel and pull him down, grasp his blessing by moving him out of the way. What a fitting name! You heal. So was there any blessing left? No. His blessing was actually an anti-blessing. Esau, instead of drawing near to the covenant, would be away. Esau would be away from all that Jacob was blessed by. Rejecting God, Esau is rejected by God. He had already despised his birthright and was not repentant. And his descendants would be subservient, subservient to the descendants of Jacob and they would live by the sword. They'd live by violence. But one day, and they did, they would free themselves from the dominion of Jacob's descendants. What happens next? Discipline. 24, 41 through 45. God judges, like he's done throughout Genesis, God judges and punishes sin. Let's look at 41. Now, Esau hated, oh goodness, Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So, she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Oh, manipulative measures, deceitful deeds, they yield success sometimes, don't they? But the success always comes at great cost. Oh yes, remember, even when you and I are faithless, even when you and I are faithless, God is still faithful. And His plan, and His, hear this carefully, His plan and His blessing will still come to pass. But, but, we may have to bear the burden of our folly. Now thankfully, He's merciful even in what we reap. And by the way, the sins are forgiven and never counted against us we still go to heaven. But sometimes we have to bear the burden of our folly. <laughs> we may still taste some bitter fruit, and we may still find ourselves pulling out some stubborn weeds of our own making as we dwell in the land of blessing. The land of blessing sometimes has bitter fruit and stubborn weeds of my own making. How about you? Aren't you glad even I can't ultimately thwart God's plan for me. I reap what I sow. He's not mocked. He, he disciplines me. But not what I deserve. 
And the sin's been nailed on Calvary's tree. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. In a way, reminiscent of Cain and Abel, the sinful older brother becomes angry over God's choice and God's blessing of the younger. And thoughts of murder begin to form. We've seen this before. And as one, though, as one commentator observed, Esau was not a man to keep his thoughts private. And his mother, Rebecca, was not one to miss much of anything. So Rebecca kicks into high gear again. She wants to save her favorite son from his brother's impetuous wrath, and he warns, and she warns him to flee to her. Bro- <laughs> she wants to save her son from her brother's impetuous wrath, and warns the son to flee to her brother's home. It'll just be for a little while. Your brother Esau will cool off, and I'll send for you when all is well. Now, in an ironic twist, mom, who came up with the plan, in an ironic twist, mom said, "It'll be fine." when Esau gets over what you've done to him. Feels like the Garden of Eden. We just don't change, do we? All parties, though, like in the Garden of Eden, are guilty. And all receive punishment. Isaac and Rebekah watch their lives and their family unravel due to their favoritism, their unbelief, their disobedience, their deception. Rebekah... Scripture doesn't record that she ever sees him again. So she probably never sees Jacob again because this little while, we'll find later in the text, is 20 years. Esau, who's already despised his birthright, broke his word and hated his brother to the point of plotting murder, he loses everything important to him and ends up living outside of the promised land. And Jacob, Jacob, oh, he receives what God would have given him anyway. Along with shame and strife and hatred. And he's driven penniless away from his home and away from his family and straight into the loving arms, as we'll find out, of his uncle Laban. (laughs) Back to deception. You think we're going to end it cool? No, it gets worse before it gets better. They deceived they were deceived are we let's roll through quickly verse 46 then rebecca said to isaac i loathe my life because of the hittite women if jacob marries one of the hittite women like these one of the women of the land what good will my life be to me then isaac calls jacob and blessed him and directed him you must not take a little too late you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women arise and go to Padan Aram to the house of Bethuel your mother's father and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban your mother's brother God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples may he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham thus Isaac sent Jacob away Hebrews records in faith and went to Padanaram to Laban the son of Bethuel the Aramean the brother of Rebekah Jacob and Esau's mother Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there. 
And that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Badanaram. Then, so when Esau saw that the Canaanite women, duh, so when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalatha, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebioth. <laughs> Rebecca goes to bat for her son one more time. But she doesn't come clean. No, instead, she reminds her husband of the fact that Esau's two Hittite wives. If Jacob follows suit and marries a woman from Canaan's land, more miseries will follow. She goes to bat, but it's a deception. She's not telling everything or the real reason. But it works. And Jacob is sent packing with specific instructions. Do not marry a woman from Canaan's land, a Canaanite, like your brother did twice. Instead, go to your uncle's home and find a wife there. So in this surprising turn of events, Isaac goes even further. He blesses Jacob and prays that God will bless him with the blessing of Abraham. This full circle, obedient, willing, faith-filled reversal of his head and his heart. Isaac has recognized that Jacob is the true heir of the Abrahamic covenant. He's the chosen lineage. This lineage will march forward to the fulfillment in the chosen promised seed, Jesus Christ. And then the narrative ends like it began. Esau gets married again. Number three. Swing and a miss. Close, no cupid doll, Esau. Esau looks to curry favor from his father by marrying within the family too. Unfortunately, Esau is self-deceived. He's missing the point. And doing it his own way, like anyone who's involved in religion does, do the right thing the wrong way for the wrong reasons, and hope to curry favor, he chooses the family of Ishmael. Amazing. Rebecca practices deception. Esau is self-deceived. How about us? Will we get the main point of the passage? Or will you do like I'm tempted to do here because there's so many sub-points? Let's not settle about facts about food and parenting and should we bless our kids. The passage points to the plan of redemption. It's <laughs> point of the passage is about God's stubborn Electing love. Have you ever thought of God's love as stubborn? It's a stubborn love. It's an electing love. And it's a love like you've never had. This tragic tale of an epic fail reminds us that God is faithful to His Word and to His people even when they resist His will or when they try to help Him fulfill His will. You know, Jacob's name in Hebrew... It was not actually the word heal. It was a word that was reminiscent, that would remind you, bring to mind a heal. It pointed to what he did at the birth and what he did in his life. It made people think of a heal. But within his Hebrew name, there was something else contained. Embedded in his spelling, it also meant, may God protect 
Now put these two thoughts together and you just get a snapshot of grace in the name Jacob. The heel that God protected. What a heel. Protected by God. See, grace, grace by definition only goes to the undeserving grace. Please don't let us be deceived and miss the point of the passage nor miss grace in your life. Grace goes to the undeserving. Grace comes at God's discretion and grace is there, believer or unbeliever, follower of Christ, living on your own. Grace is there for you. Saving grace, sustaining grace. Saving grace for the unbeliever. Strengthening, sustaining, empowering grace for us. First time forgiveness. Gazillion time forgiveness. Grace is there for you both. If you come to Christ. I love what this one commentator, his name is Gordon Wenham, says. By setting this new step forward in the history of salvation in the context of such unprincipled behavior by every member of the family, each self-centeredly seeking his or her own interests, the narrator, which is Moses, is not simply pointing out the fallibility of God's chosen, whose virtues often turn into vices, but what's he doing? He's reasserting the point of the passage. The grace of God. It is His mercy. God's mercy is the ultimate ground of our salvation. And that mercy and that grace will produce. We talked about weeds and bitter fruit. Oh no, it's in the land of blessing. It will produce gratitude. When you do all these things, it will produce comfort. It will produce hope. Don't be deceived. God's stubborn and electing love is here for you today. Turn to Him and find comfort and joy. If you, if you find this is you disappointment faces your life, you've been a disappointment, you're disappointed at others, if you find disobedience, if you find deception, if you feel like you're under discipline, i got good news for you today. God's stubborn, electing love. Oh yeah! Grace to the undeserving. Us. If you're not a Christian, turn, run to Christ. Grace for the undeserving. If you're a believer, and these describe you, grace to the undeserving. Oh, we can pray. God have mercy on us. And we can pray it in faith. Because He has, and He will, and on that day, if you've trusted in Christ, you'll find it fresh. Oh, it's new every morning. And you'll find it in heaven. When you get there and you go, oh, you did have mercy on me. Let's pray.